the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We talk a lot about education here on the Bruce Hooley Show, and I thought it'd be fun to bring on Dan Gibson, the uh, head of school at Columbus Classical Academy. They will begin enrolling students this fall at 2000 Polaris Parkway, and I know it's a hub of activity over there, Dan, as you guys are trying to retrofit a really beautiful building into getting ready for your first class of students. But I wanted to talk to you about artificial intelligence. Uh, been stories on 60 Minutes, a couple of them last night about the capability of it. It's combination impressive and also scary. And for someone in the education space, I wonder if you've had conversations with people who are in the business of educating students as you are and how this is going to be monitored, how it can be kept from furthering cheating in the classroom. AI has great benefits, I'm sure, but it also poses some great peril for people in the education space. Yeah, I think that's right, Bruce, and, and thanks for having me back. AI is, is frankly, beyond me, um, but I, with you, I agree that it's one of these fascinating and impressive things that also poses its own dangers, and I think that's true, frankly, of, of almost all technological advances. When it comes to the educational context, our view is very much what it is with regard to all advances in technology, and that is that you can pit technology and its dangers against technological solutions at the end of the day, how anything is used is really a question of the people who use it. And that's why we always return back to our you know, foundation of teaching virtue and, and creating an environment where children want to learn because they want knowledge, uh, not because they want grades. The classical model tries to impress upon children uh, from the very earliest ages that the value of their education is not in the grade, because the grade is not a measure of their worth as a human being, but it's a measure of the knowledge that they have mastered and that that knowledge is the prize, not the grade itself. And once a student has that perspective, the problem of cheating, whether it's through really advanced technological functions or the old-fashioned write-the-answers-on-your-hand, most importantly becomes unappealing to the student in the first place. Dan Gibson, the head of school at Columbus Classical Academy, is our guest, and they will have an information session on Thursday night from 6 to 7.30 p.m. You can find out more on their website at Columbus Classical dot org i like the concept of that that you're learning for the knowledge not for the grades you've interacted i know with a lot of parents how does that message resonate that it's the knowledge not the grade how does that message resonate with parents or does it yeah it does obviously there are some parents who you speak to who who do have that perspective that um, i primarily want uh, a school where my child can get into princeton and uh, it's understandable because uh, i think what is beneath that is a desire for excellence. But a big part of our conversations uh, with parents and with the community is a reminder of what excellence is and what its source is. And at the end of the day, the credential is supposed to represent something substantive. Uh, You know, back uh, early on in its earliest years, just to apply to Harvard, uh, a student had to be able to, uh, I believe it was translate the Iliad uh, in the original Latin in its full. And the point there was not obviously that this is some kind of measure of intellectual 
superiority or credential, but it was a, a basis that there's a certain body of knowledge, in particular uh, an understanding of the Latin language that makes a knowledgeable citizen. And in order to participate in this sort of higher level of learning, student needed to be equipped with that. What the classical model uh, emphasizes and what we convey to parents is that that desire for excellence comes in the form of the greater knowledge that a student will have at the conclusion of their time at a place like Columbus Classical Academy. Uh, we have other friends in the Hillsdale school network and community that have incredible records of national merit finalists and very high-achieving students by the traditional statistical excellence because the education that you receive in a classical school produces that as a byproduct but it is not the goal of the education. And that's really where the reorientation um, happens. There are some parents who are fully committed to this and have been aware of the classical model for a long time. Some have done it in the homeschooling arena, and some have been looking for it for a long time. It's not that we don't care about those achievements and uh, equipping students that are capable of doing the higher level educational uh, work that some of those prestigious collegiate institutions provide. But it's not the goal. And when you reorient yourself toward the goal of knowledge, your perspective on education and your perspective, frankly, on what counts as a successful education changes. Obviously, not every student, no matter how well they're educated, will be equipped to attend the most difficult universities in the world. But that is not an indication of a failure of the education. What they walk away with is a complete education that allows them to either go into the workforce or to go on further with their education as an informed citizen who loves the right things. Dan, as you get ready to have your first group of students at Columbus Classical Academy this fall in K-8, through I'd be curious, you, I'm sure, observe with keen interest a lot of the issues around education today. One of the hot-button issues, besides school funding, besides whether or not here in Ohio we get some version of what used to be termed the backpack bill, uh, which basically would take income levels off as a qualifier Everyone, my perception would be, or or my hope is, that every parent would have the option to get a portion of the funding that is given to the public schools for each student, that the student would get that money and they would have a chance to invest it wherever they wanted, whether it's homeschooling, whether it's in a charter school, whether it's in a private school, or whether they just want to go ahead and go to a public school. But the other thing that comes up a lot are, quote-unquote, book bans. And I know that with a Hillsdale uh, College-affiliated curriculum, uh, you guys prize the classics. You may teach Shakespeare. There's a debate about Shakespeare, the relevancy of Shakespeare, a lot of the classics. Um, I'm curious, as you observe the debate about book bans from a distance, what do you think is accurate or what is relevant to this discussion and what is maybe exaggerated in order to um, inspire fear or make some accusations that don't really hold water? Yeah, it's a good question, Bruce, and obviously each specific instance um, in some respects is unique, but the common thread that I perceive in, in those uh, discussions and debates um, in, in some ways is disheartening, but also um, I think in, in important and in some ways promising. Uh, the promising aspect is the recognition that something's not quite right in our schools, and this is uh, a lot of public and private schools. Uh, and that it manifests itself sometimes in these overtly ideological texts um, that are not of particular uh, educational merit, but they are ideologically and philosophically there to, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, indoctrinate students. 
Um, the disheartening part for me is the thought that by simply banning those books or banning certain aspects of a curriculum that we've somehow done our job. Uh, and it's a failure to recognize that the problem runs much deeper than the specific, you know, egregious uh, books that may happen to be placed into a library or egregious examples of curricular uh, drift that happen inside of a given classroom. Um, and the impulse uh, to keep those out really needs to be replaced with the question of, well, what do we need to be putting in? What is it that is uh, opening up space for this obsession with contemporary politics, this obsession with uh, the issues of the day, whatever happens to be on the front page of the newspaper, as though that's what belongs inside of a K-12 classroom. And it's not that these issues aren't significant. It's not even that these issues aren't something that students should think about. But it is that the ideological battles that are being waged out in society today are not the proper material for a good and excellent K-12 education. Uh, what is good and excellent for a K-12 education are those things uh, that are eternal, those things that are significant across time periods, that history is being studied uh, rather than contemporary politics, so that when a student is equipped to be a mature adult citizen and engage in those political issues uh, on, on a practical level as a member of the community, that they have a perspective to bring to it rather than simply an emotion about, you know, I'm on this side or that side of a given uh, controversy right now. And so uh, we really don't take the perspective that we need to be some kind of a counterweight uh, to the ideological lurch that's happening in schools. It's, a, a as Plato would put it, an ascent up out of the cave. Uh, it's one thing to battle uh, inside the cave and try to rearrange things uh, in your favor. It's another thing to take a step back and a step out and see things from a higher perspective. And that's what the classics do because they cross time and cultures uh, and they address issues that require a student to reflect uh, at a higher level, on a broader level. Um, and this is true even at the very lowest grades. Um, you know, young students are much more capable than we give them credit for uh, of hearing the stories, the true stories of history both the, the good and the bad and the ugly of American history and of global history, and assessing the actions of individuals uh, and reflecting on what that means for the society, for the individual uh, in which those events took place, and then to take that knowledge and that understanding and to do something with it in their own time and place. Um, and so the, the book bans themselves, the curricular fights, um, they, they are so obsessed with, with the temporal, the right now, uh, that I think students lose an opportunity to re bring real understanding to those debates uh, when they become mature citizens. Yeah, that's well said. Dan Gibson, head of school, Columbus Classical Academy. They are enrolling for their first uh, group of students this fall in K-8. through eight. You can find out more at columbusclassical.org. They have an information session Thursday night from 6 to 7.30, another one Saturday morning. You can find out more on their website, columbusclassical.org. Dan, always great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for your perspective today. Thank you, Bruce. I appreciate it. So the Biden administration apparently is uh, determining how to strategically announce uh, the president's official bid for re-election. Um, nobody expects him not to run for president because they have nobody else on that side of the aisle that is a viable candidate. Certainly not uh, cackling Kamala Harris and certainly not Gavin Newsom, who's 
campaign as president, I would think would be extremely easy to undermine. All you have to do if you're a Republican candidate is go hold a press conference every week in the heart of L.A. or San Francisco. Um, I would imagine the media would uh, recoil at the notion of uh, stepping over human feces or uh, drug needles. Just show people the California that Gavin Newsom's stewardship has wrought. And that would be the end of a Gavin Newsom campaign. So Biden has to run, and Biden will run. And the question will be, can he be protected by the media the way he was protected, hiding behind the COVID-19 pandemic as the reason why he didn't have to come out in public? Uh, Today at 10.15 a.m., the White House called a lid, which means... There will be no availabilities, no appearances, no anything by the president of the United States today. Of course, Joey Biden is all tuckered out from his trip across the Atlantic to Ireland and Northern Ireland. Oh, he's got massive jet lag and he's got to sleep it off. This is what comes with having an 80-year-old president. Imagine what you will have with an 82-year-old president, which is what Biden's age would be if he is reelected to a second term, and he would be 86 when he left office. He clearly doesn't have any stamina now. That's not a situation that's going to get any better. But, of course, the Republican Party is uh, not organized and not positioned to take advantage of what should be a landslide election in 2024. All you have to do, all you have to do, go back to the 2022 midterms with inflation raging, the southern border a disaster, the Afghanistan withdrawal emboldening Vladimir Putin in Ukraine, and no doubt Xi Jinping in Taiwan. And against that backdrop, of course, with all those facts hidden as much as is possible by mainstream media reporting from the American electorate, the Democrats did pretty doggone well. They strengthened their hold on the Senate. was 50-50. Now it's 51-49. And they barely lost the House. So the presidential election should be a slam dunk for Republicans, but it won't be because Donald Trump, of course, looms over the party. There's 25% of the party that won't even listen to anybody else as a candidate, despite the fact that we have Numerous other candidates who I think if they were isolated against Joe Biden would provide the kind of contrast that would allow them to win easily. I've made the point before, and I know it angers every single Trumpian out there every time I make it, but in order to win the election, you have to win independence to your side. So in order to win the election, you have to pick a candidate who has the potential to win independence to their side. And Donald Trump has not shown an ability since 2016 to keep or win independence on his side. His disapproval rating is higher than Joe Biden's. Now, for me as an evangelical Christian, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that voting block breaks down in the upcoming Republican primary because what I notice, and it's a troubling thing to notice, on the Republican side of the question about who will run, is this characterization of the abortion 
issue and the overthrow of Roe versus Wade, turning abortion back to the states as the fault for why Republicans did not do well in the midterm elections. And so when something gets blamed as the reason why you lost the midterm election, then, of course, the first easy thing to do is say, well, we've got to stop doing that. So if abortion is the issue, then we need to be more welcoming on abortion. We need to be more open on abortion. We need to acknowledge that, you know, uh, while we are pro-life, some abortion is okay. Uh, This is, to me, a compromise of integrity and character, and most importantly, truth. If you agree that life begins at conception, then any other position on abortion, 12 weeks, 15 weeks, 24 weeks, becomes a compromise of your integrity because you're saying, I believe that life begins at conception, but I'm willing to let you exterminate that life up to a certain point because I want to win the election. And that's the only reason you would do it, right? That's the only reason you would make that allowance. Tim Scott has floated the idea of 20 weeks. Lindsey Graham, I think, was 18 weeks. I favor the law in the state of Ohio. Unfortunately, it's not being enforced right now, which is the heartbeat bill, which is when you detect a baby's heartbeat. In other words, when you know there's a life inside the mother, then you can't abort that life. That's the position in the state of Florida. Ron DeSantis has staked out that position. He has signed a bill into law, putting the heartbeat bill into law in Ohio. I do not think Donald Trump is going to take that position. I think Ron DeSantis is going to be running to the right of Trump on abortion. It'll be interesting to see because evangelical voters definitely put Trump over the top. It'll be interesting to see what are evangelical voters going to do. A lot of them were all in on Trump, and they look the other way on all of Trump's uh, moral questions. I have said before that I wish Donald Trump had taken the victory lap, the legacy achievement of overturning Roe versus Wade through his three SCOTUS appointments. Nobody could ever, ever not accord Donald Trump with being one of the most consequential American presidents in the aftermath of appointing three Supreme Court justices to overturn Roe versus Wade. He wouldn't take that W, so he's coming back. And if he loses, which he hates losing, and I believe that at this point in time, it's hard for me to envision a way that he could win against Joe Biden because of independence not being even open to discussing voting for Trump again then he will exit the political stage, not with the victory of being the person whose willingness to stick with his three appointments through all manner of opposition got rid of Roe versus Wade. He'll be remembered as a three-time loser. 2020, 2022, 2024. That's not the legacy I want for him. But it seems to be the legacy he's determined to forge for himself. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.